Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 907 of Lockdown Raptors for Saturday, March the 20th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. And you can find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Also, please make sure you are supporting all the shows on the Locked On Network covering the teams and sports that you like. If you're a college basketball fan and you're enjoying March Madness, we've got, I believe, 16 college shows still covering teams alive in the tournament. So go and find the corresponding shows. Florida, Arkansas, some teams that won yesterday all will have breakdown podcasts for you. And also, we have Locked On NBA Draft. If you watch March Madness uh, for the express purpose of seeing dudes who might get drafted, which is why I'm kind of diving in once again this year for the first time in a few years, then Locked On NBA Draft has you covered. It's a brand new show. They have uh, five days a week, three wonderful sets of hosts uh, bringing you wonderful content every single day. So go and listen to Locked On NBA Draft throughout the tournament. Okay. On today's show, which of course is brought to you by Locker Room, uh, by the way, go download the app and join me this week on Thursday, right at the trade deadline, we're going to jump on, we'll do a little Raptors chat on the tr- on the Locker Room app uh, on Thursday, probably around 3.30 or so after the deadline wraps up. But anyway, on today's show, it's just me, we are uh, diving into the Raptors' loss to the Utah Jazz, 115-112 last night, their seventh straight loss in a game that saw OG Ananobi come back, that saw the Raptors regain seemingly some of their conditioning, that saw the Raptors look really freaking good for long stretches against a very good team, and they still come up with a loss. It's a real bummer loss. The Every loss at this point is meaningful as they try to make ground back up in the Eastern Conference, as they try to determine their path going into Thursday's trade deadline. Every loss is just sort of ratcheting up the noise, and I, I just... <laughs> There's a lot to get into from this game, and I feel like I'm just like a broken record that maybe all of you are sick of by this point, but I came away from this game feeling a way that I felt about a lot of the Raptors' gut-punch losses this season, and maybe that's a recurring theme that I should take note of, but I feel pretty good about where this team's at when healthy. I don't know how you couldn't at this point. I mean, this team has lost seven games in a row, six of which were either without all their guys or with guys just returning or not all of their guys. It was... A pretty rough go, and they are still a positive point differential team. They still continue to look good against really good teams, all dating back to you know the Milwaukee back-to-back wins, the Philadelphia games where those looked really strong. They're a good team. I just I don't know how else to say it. They're a good team that is bad record-wise because of circumstance, and I don't know how you come away from this game thinking anything other than exactly what Nick Nurse said after Thursday's game or Wednesday's game, whatever the hell they last played against Detroit. This team deserves a shot to turn it around, and I think that was reinforced and hammered home last night 
pretty significantly by the Raptors. So I'll get into that. I'll get into some of the stuff from the game that I really liked. Uh, I also want to talk about the rotation, which was interesting and kind of new. And it seems maybe Nick Nurse is adopting a new approach to his rotation. We'll see if it lasts more than one game, but I'm curious to see what's to come, considering the guys who played last night against the Jazz. And then I also have a couple mailbag questions to get to. I promised I'd get to them at some point this week, and I never did. So I will get to those in the final segment of the show to wrap things up. But first, yeah, let's dive into some of the stuff. I already said my biggest takeaway was that I feel quite good about this loss and where the Raptors are going from here and that I totally believe in the validity of this team when they're healthy. Some of the reasons why. Um, OG Ananobi is really good. He came back. He was awesome. He defended everybody. He defended centers. He defended guards. They switched a ton in this game, which was... I think a really smart move by the Raptors, considering what the Jazz do is uh, fire 10 bazillion threes a game and whip it around. I think particularly against the Jazz, the Raptors defense, they're over-aggressive, you know, hedge recover, fly around, fill in for the next person. You know, I I think that's a bit of a risky strategy against the Jazz, considering all the good shooters they have and considering how much they whip it around. And instead, the Raptors switched a ton. And, you know, we're okay with dudes getting switched on to Rudy Gobert and not really trusting that Rudy Gobert was going to do much. Whatever, Gobert seemed to have a size advantage after a switch in this game. He'd kind of just pass out to a guy because if you get Gobert outside of six feet, there's not much he can really do with the ball in his hands, which is nice. I thought the, the switching defense looked really good. OG is obviously a huge piece that unlocks the ability to play like that. Same with Pascal, same with Fred, frankly. You know, they just, I liked that they even just stuck small against the Jazz, too. You know, you could have definitely argued, oh, maybe you just throw in the big hulking dude, throw in Baines as a ceremonial starter to get some minutes up against Gobert. But they said, no, like, we're going to stretch Gobert out. We're going to make life difficult for him. And they absolutely did that um, on both ends of the floor. I, you know, I thought the defense was pretty sound on him. Yeah, he got his dunks here and there, but I don't think he was, like, terrorizing them as a dive threat or anything like that. They did a good job of bumping him on the roll. They did a good job of, you know, I think limiting his offensive rebounds as well. I think he had a bit of a stretch in this game where he got some. He had four total, which is not too bad considering the Raptors are nightmarish at giving up offensive rebounding. They did a good job on the glass gang rebounding. Uh, Uh, despite the size disadvantage. And on the offensive end, I thought they approached this game perfectly. They really tried to stretch Gobert out. They were pretty heavy on having their big shoot threes. You had Siakam shoot 10 threes in this game. You had Boucher shoot four. That's huge. And they were hitting them as well. Siakam four of 10, Boucher three of four, felt like he was never going to miss. Boucher in particular, I thought, gave Gobert a lot of trouble just because of his speed, his quickness, the fact that Gobert's not really one to venture out to the three-point line all that much. Uh, And I thought Siakam did the same thing. You know, there's always going to be that deterrent at the rim. And we saw the Raptors not shoot terribly well from two in this game. Probably not terribly surprising considering where where their strengths lie and the fact that Rudy Gobert is, you know, for all of the things that he's very easy to make fun of for, He's an absolutely great rim rim deterrent, and the Raptors, I think, adjusted accordingly, and I thought it was a really nice game plan. They shot a ton of threes, as they tend to do. You got to keep the variance up against the Jazz, because they're clearly a quite talented team, and they shoot a ton of threes themselves. They had an off shooting night. The Raptors had a good shooting night, and that had the minute right until the end. I thought the game plan was excellent. I thought Kyle Lowry's fourth quarter was outstanding and deserving of a lot of praise. He scored, I think, eight points in pretty quick succession when the Raptors really needed it. And it just, this one kind of came down to ultimately the Raptors getting in the bonus too soon. And you could argue about the, the free throws calls and all that stuff. Like, yeah, the disparity in this game was insane. It was 41 free throws to 14. And I'm always of the mind that, 
you know, you have to look at the way the Raptors play and account for that when looking at free throw disparity. The Raptors play aggressive. They foul a lot. They don't have a ton of guys who are great at getting to the line themselves, and the Jazz don't foul. That's their thing. They're a very good team at not fouling. I think the disparity got out of hand because of the bonus stuff, and you could argue for, you know, maybe against a couple little weak calls here and there. There was a Donovan Mitchell call with Norm Powell in his grill, or Pascal in his grill, sorry, in the fourth quarter. It was like, are really? Are we really calling that? A couple sort of and ones late that were tough, but for the most part, I, I think the free throw disparity, while extreme, makes some sense considering the strengths of these two teams. And, and yeah, they, they kind of lost it there. There's a lot of easy points you give up. You only get 11 free throws yourself. The Jazz make 35 of 41, and you're down 24 very easy points. And it's pretty remarkable that the Raptors were within a possession of this game down to the end. Speaking of that possession, we should probably address the snake-bitten Pascal Siakam. Um, you know, again, I feel like in all of these games he's playing where he's missing these shots late, they're usually at the end of games where he's excellent. You know, I'm thinking back to that Warriors and Blazers game. Uh, yeah, the Wolves game, I think he was pretty good in the second Wolves game as well, or the first, whatever the hell one they lost. Who knows? I can't remember anything at this point. And then this game, yeah, he shot 9 of 22. It wasn't awesome, but his defense was outstanding. Um, you know, he had nine assists in this game. He was just finding dudes in space, um, you know, kind of pulling the defender his way. He's really good against the Jazz at, at doing this, sort of teasing the defenders and waiting for them to sort of lurch out at him and then either making his own move and scoring with the right spin move or by finding a guy who's just kind of under the basket. He did a really good job with that. Found Aaron Baines a couple times. I, I thought it was an excellent Pascal game. And the fact that a three-pointer that, like, went three-quarters of the white way down ends up uh, you know, kind of souring this game for him is a bummer because he was really, really great, and it was so encouraging to see him be this good and be this ever-present in his second game back after missing a very long time with COVID. It's, uh, it's really encouraging stuff, and again, kind of hammers home that this team, when healthy, when they're together, is very good. It's formidable. They're good against good teams, and I know the schedule coming up is troublesome. There are some difficult games coming up, especially in April, where you've got the L.A. teams coming up twice each. You've got two games against the Nets on the way. But when you actually look at the schedule, it's not, like, that murderous. It's not like they go and play, you know, 15 great teams in a row. Yes, there are some good teams in there, for sure. But you also have, like, the Knicks a whole bunch, and you have the Magic in there. You have the Pistons still. You've got the Wizards, who are extremely weird and erratic. You've got the Thunder twice. Like, it's not easy, necessarily, but I don't think it's the most difficult schedule you're ever going to see. Yes, it's compact. It's compressed. There's back-to-backs all over the place. That's difficult, but everybody has that right now. And I just find it really difficult to look at the schedule and pick games and sort of assume, oh, that's going to be a win, that's going to be a loss. This season makes no sense. No teams are ever whole, and I think if your team is playing well and together at a given time, it doesn't really matter what the schedule is. You'll just play well and probably pick up some wins along the way, and I think that this team, and look, there's a very good chance they could just have it not happen. It's a very good chance they could, you know, flounder here and, you know, continue the uphill climb that's been this entire season where they can't quite get to the top. They keep slipping on the mud, and they fall back down whenever they seem to get close to the top. But I still think they deserve the chance to continue that attempted climb because this is not a team that screams, oh, rebuild me, please. We're terrible. They're bad because of circumstance. And I just I keep thinking about Nick Nurse's press conference on Wednesday, and I can't stop thinking that he's absolutely right, that this team has earned the runway to at least see what they can do. 
and then maybe run it back next year. Run it back. They're good, man. Like, I don't know what to say. It's an excellent team. Like they, yes, the depth is not there, but the main guys are really good. Is it a championship-worthy team? No, but there's no path to a championship-worthy team right now, so stay good. Do the Raptors thing that we've seen for literally eight years, and to derail that because of a pandemic, once again, I know I've said it before, but would, would just be premature, short-sighted, and uh, really super unsatisfying as far as ways to end this this current era of the Raptors. So that's where I'm at. It was an encouraging game. I, I, I'm sorry that I continue to be positive and sunny about this uh, hell season that sucks, but I just, the way that the Eastern Conference is laid out, the way the Raptors play these good teams when they're healthy, I feel like there's still a run in them somewhere. And it's not going to take much of a run, is the thing. They're three and a half games out of fifth place right now. The Hawks are in fifth. They've won a ton of games in a row. I still think I don't totally buy the Hawks. Maybe Nate McMillan's a miracle worker. I don't know. But, like, there's not a lot of ground to cover here. They haven't won a game since February 26th, and they're three and a half games out of fifth. That, to me, suggests that things are going to be okay. And even if you slide into the six, maybe you're the seven and you're in a play-in. You're still going to be, of all the teams in that little gaggle of teams, you're still going to be the team that the teams at the top of the conference do not want to play. I can tell you for sure the Bucks would rather play the Hawks or the Hornets or the Bulls than the Raptors. Same with the Sixers, same with the Nets, same with the, the, the Heat or the Celtics or whoever. They're not a team people are going to want to play if they're looking like they did against the Jazz last night. And I just think they're so well coached. They seem to maybe be figuring out the depth thing a little bit. We'll get to the rotation coming up in a sec. But I think there's a lot to like from what we saw uh, against the Jazz. And I think it should sort of spear forward a a lot of positivity and and excitement about what can happen over the final 31 games. Even though it's not a lot of games, it's going to take a lot to get this back but if they go and win 60% of the remaining games 65% of the remaining games I won't be stunned because this team has been waiting for a run all season long and maybe just maybe this is the time they can make it I'll continue on we'll get into the rotation questions and stuff in just a little bit but first I want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.ag the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action right now the college basketball tournament's going on both men's and women's you can bet on both you can have a lot of fun with it and you can also bet on all the other sports we got going on. MLB is coming up, NHL, NBA, whatever it might be. You can even bet on award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props and almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so just a heads up, coming up on Monday, I'll have a recap podcast of the Cavs game with the Locked On Cavs guys, Chris and Evan. That'll be a lot of fun. We'll check in with them. Uh, and also next week, Amy Otterberg is going to come on the podcast, I think on Tuesday, probably running Wednesday morning, uh, to talk about the all-women's broadcast for TSN that's going on next Wednesday against the Nuggets. That's going to be a ton of fun, and Amy's amazing, and I can't wait to talk to her all about it, and uh, it's going to be freaking great. She's also doing radio. She did radio last night. I believe she's doing radio again on Monday for the Rockets game, so listen to TSN Radio to hear Amy Otterberg on the call. She's great. All right. Um, let's dive into the rotation stuff. Uh, the back part of the rotation, Nick Nurse had talked before this game about maybe wanting to 
change up his approach a little bit when it comes to his reserves. He's been very erratic in terms of who he's playing, when he's playing them this season. It's been all over the place. There's been no rhyme or reason, really. It's been a lot of desperation, I know. It's been a lot of just throwing shit at the wall to see if it'll stick. And I wonder if maybe he's realizing that it's kind of difficult for dudes to get rhythm when their jobs are being taken and given you know multiple times in a given week I, I can totally see why that might be jarring for a player obviously you want to stay prepared and professional and all that stuff but it's a lot easier said than done and I wonder if maybe nurse is hinting at sticking to a bit more of a rigid rotation or at least for the little next little while here to see if he can maybe get some consistent performances so last night obviously Chris Boucher is a six man was awesome love Chris Boucher great game from him but the other guys following him off the bench, Paul Watson and Malachi Flynn. Uh, Watson plays 15 minutes. Malachi Flynn plays 18. Aaron Baines plays just seven. I think probably just matchup reasons. I think the Raptors liked going small against Gobert and making him stretch out and giving him some trouble that way. Uh, I think playing Baines against him a lot would have been kind of leaning into it a little bit too much and sort of like acknowledging Gobert's presence more than you have to. So I think... Look, this is an interesting rotation for sure. It's different. I, I think DeAndre Bembry losing his spot, if this is what's happened, is kind of unfair considering he was wildly miscast as like a number one or two in the lineups he was trying to carry during the Raptors' bet with COVID. He's a really nice fifth option. He's a nice connector. He's a great cutter, good passer, you know, extra ball handling, all that stuff, a great defender. I think he would work really nicely in the Raptors' small ball lineups with their good players. And. I hope he gets that shot again. I think he's useful in that spot, but it seems as though his run of turning the ball over a ton as the number one or two has cost him his minutes, at least for now. And so we have Malachi Flynn coming in, uh, his dad getting his wish, I guess, and he plays 18 minutes. And I thought Flynn was okay. Like, he kind of does this thing. It's rookie stuff, right? He's not really part of the action all the time. He's not actively engaged in what's going on. You know, every trip down the floor, he's kind of just standing around waiting to make a connector pass, things like that. But I think, you know, we, he saw, I think the one bucket he made in this game was a pull-up three around a pick and roll. That's kind of the Malachi Flynn thing. That's what we saw tons of highlights of him doing when he was drafted. So that was nice to see. And I just think getting him some run, getting him comfortable is a smart move. You know, we've talked about the lack of depth on this team, the sort of need to replenish a little bit the shadow core. And Malachi Flynn is the first sort of guy in that future shadow core that you would assume they're going to try to build with this year's first round pick. If they do recoup picks for a Norm Powell or something, you'd figure that'll be part of the, the conversation too. But Flynn is going to be part of that. And he's going to have to probably play rotation minutes as early as next year in a pretty substantial role. And I think just getting him some run this year and what could be a lost season but still is salvageable, I think is a pretty smart move. You know, it gives Fred and Kyle theoretically a bit of a breather with some extra ball handling on the floor. It didn't really manifest itself that way last night as Fred played 41 minutes in his second game back and Kyle played 35. But as trust grows with Flynn, you would assume they would scale back the minutes and just the on-ball burden of a Lowry and a Van Vliet when presumably Flynn's playing with one of those guys at all times. So I, I like the decision to play Flynn. Aaron Baines playing just seven minutes, I think, you know, he'll get more minutes in different matchups. He's far more situational, it seems. I, I like that we get to see the Baines-Boucher bench combo in some amount at some point here going forward as well. Didn't see a ton of it last night because Boucher was playing a lot of center just to stretch out Gobert, but... I think the Baines-Boucher 4-5 combo actually works pretty nicely, as we've talked about for a bunch of different reasons, and I think we will see that a little bit more prevalent go for going forward. 
The guy who I think is super interesting is Paul Watson. 15 minutes for him. Uh, pretty quiet, just one point. But I do think he offers some things the Raptors don't have a ton of. You know, he is big, which the Raptors don't have a lot of. He's big and can also shoot, which, you know, all the other Raptors' big dudes are guys who are a little bit iffy with the shooting. Stanley Johnson, Yuta Watanabe, I guess that's kind of it. You know, those guys are nice players. They try hard. Johnson hit some threes while the guys were out. That was nice to see, but you can't really count on that. And Watson... I don't think he's the defender that Watanabe or Johnson is, but he's smart. He's low mistake. He's not going to kill you. You know, I'm talking after a game where he had four fouls and scored one point, so maybe I'm just like putting too much on Paul Watson and saying he did more than he actually did. But I think it's more of an amalgamation of what he's done over the last six or seven games where he's just looked pretty competent and is not going to detract. It's kind of like DeAndre Bembry, although Bembry really pissed away all that, not detracting uh, reputation with all the turnovers he had during the time. But again, not his fault. Miscast, whatever. Watson's interesting. I, I don't know... If I prefer him in the rotation to Bembry, I I, th- I think Bembry just kind of does more that helps a team operate on a possession-by-possession possession basis where Watson can kind of just stand around. I don't dislike it, though. I, I don't mind seeing him get some run. He's a guy who's put in a lot of work. You know, he's one of their G League dudes. They, they're invested in his development, obviously. I don't hate it. I think I'd maybe prefer Benbury a little bit higher, but if this is going to be the nine going forward, I think you could do worse. And if you're properly staggering as well and not playing Watson, Flynn, Baines, Boucher with one point guard, I think you're probably going to be pretty okay. We didn't see that last night. That was nice, maybe for a couple minutes here and there, but I don't think it was for a long stretch by any means. If you can properly mix those guys in and find the pairings that work, you know, the Baines-Boucher pairing works if you have ball handling and shooting around those guys and guys who can sort of um, fill in the gaps. Like, yeah, if you have a Fred plus a Norm plus a Watson or something, maybe you can get by with that lineup. If uh, you have Flynn and Watson out there, then you obviously want to have like Siakam and OG to anchor those lineups defensively with another guard or ball handler. Like, I think there's ways to sprinkle in all these guys into lineups where they're not taking away and and their skills kind of complement nicely. It's just... You can't be playing multiple, you know, four of those guys together. It's just way too many. So we'll see what what Nurse does here. I like the idea of him sticking with something more rigid, even if it's something I don't agree with. I almost think it's better to just stick with the nine guys that you think are your guys right now and then adjust, you know, in a few weeks' time, if need be, if those guys don't actually seize those roles. And if, look, if it's going terribly and Malachi Flynn shooting one of nine every game, then yeah, maybe you swap Benbury back in for that ball handling. Or if Watson is continuing to pick up fouls, maybe you swap in a Stanley Johnson to, you know, fill in his defensive role. But I think for Nurse, in a season where there's been no consistency, and when in a season where when we've seen the Raptors find any semblance of consistency night to night, they've actually kind of looked really good and turned things, um, you know, they, they, they've sort of gotten some momentum building. Momentum's not real, but you know what I mean, just sort of chemistry and, you know, you can see them figuring things out on the fly. I think giving the same nine guys minutes every single night for the next few weeks here might help them gain some of that positive momentum in terms of chemistry, in terms of problem solving, in terms of who fits with who. And I I like the decision from Nurse, if that's what it's going to be. It could totally change. He could very much against the Cavs tomorrow roll out Matt Thomas and Terrence Davis and, (laughs) and remove Watson and Flynn from the rotation. I don't think we'll see that. We shouldn't see that. Terrence Davis is terrible. But, you know, I, I think 
the way he's spoken about it, maybe he's realizing the need for some sort of consistency here. And I hope we see it because it'd be nice to just kind of have that bench figured out, even if it's not like an overwhelmingly excellent bench and they're not giving you huge numbers every night. You know, Boucher is going to be good for scoring. That's great. And then those other guys can all fill in the gaps with all the better players too if you stagger properly. So I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. Uh, we're going to continue on. I'm going to get to a couple mailbag questions to close out the show in just one second. But first, I want to tell everybody about Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and uh, check out the Built Bar Madness bracket that's going on right now as we're trying to determine what the best Built Bar is. There are a lot of choices. I got some new ones in the mail yesterday. I got Raspberry Cheesecake, which is ridiculously good. I got Birthday Cake, also very good. And Churro Puff. Haven't tried that one yet, but it sounds quite good as well. The reviews are very, very good. I believe Churro Puff was in one of the matchups late in the week as well. Uh, go to BuiltBar.com or at Bar underscore Built on Twitter, and you can vote on the best-tasting Built Bar in the land. And remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off of your next order. That is LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup in Built Bar Madness and who will become the best-tasting protein bar overall. All right, let's wrap up today's show with a couple of mailbag questions. I teased all week that I was going to do a mailbag show, and then I never got to it because uh, I took a day off. It took Actually, it took two days, I guess, this week. It's a Saturday podcast, so it was a bit of a weird schedule week. Sorry about that, but here are your mailbag questions getting answered now. This one comes in from Craig Edmonds. He asks, Chris Boucher puts up good numbers and blocks shots, which look great on the stat sheet, but when you really analyze him defensively, how do you think? how do you rank him as a defender? Nick Nurse recently said the same, wondering what you see with his on-ball defense versus team-slash-help defense. Look, I have been very sort of up and down on Boucher's entire career, and I remain kind of like that. I think what I've established that I know and certainly feel about Boucher is that there is a very short list of players I'd rather have on my team just for pure entertainment night-to-night in the regular season. The blocked threes, the insane scoring outbursts, like he's just a wildly fun player to watch. And whether that translates to playoff success, I don't frankly really care all that much because the regular season matters. It's six months of our lives most years and having a really exciting, fun, goofy player like Chris Boucher livening up nights, that rocks. In terms of his actual defense, yeah, obviously I think his numbers certainly inflate his defensive value. You know, he's blocked, I think the stat that Blake Murphy put out last night, Chris Boucher's blocked as many threes as the second and fourth ranked players in the league combined, and also has blocked more threes than 28 teams in the NBA. It's ridiculous. He's a monster. It's super fun. Do those threes translate to great defense all the time? Certainly not. He's still got his issues. I think when he's out on the perimeter, he can get blown by pretty quickly. He's kind of... He's got like a Bambi thing sometimes where he's just not super coordinated staying in front of guys in the perimeter. I think, you know, when he's a center, he's a bit overtasked just because he's not huge. He gets outmuscled for boards, things like that, which obviously defensive rebounding is part of defense. It's how you end defensive possessions. He's not great with that. And like I've said before, I think he's far better suited playing the four than the five just because of his size and because he has that insane length, in particular with the way the Raptors defend the corners so aggressively it's a really nice thing to have he fits perfectly as a four on this team and that's the Occam role just flying out to the corners and causing mayhem you know he's he's prone to some mistakes here and there he you know of all the guys they have who do the closeout thing he probably does it the 
you know, the shakiest at times. He'll fly by guys. He'll give it, make it too easy to pump fake and take the shot again. He'll, you know, he fouled, you know, Mike Conley last night. Actually, the foul he did uh, draw on or Mike Conley did draw on him was bullshit, like where he did like a pirouette before shooting and it was somehow deemed a shooting, shooting foul, whatever. But like Boucher will do that. He's a little bit more um, undisciplined, I would say, on those closeouts than say a Siakam or an OG. But that doesn't mean he's not great at them. And he's very clearly imposing and terrifying and is blocking shots into the third row pretty much every single night, which is great. In terms of the postseason, I am really fascinated, actually, to see where Boucher's role will lie in the postseason. Because I just think there are certain matchups where he's going to be in tough. You know, against the Sixers, I don't see a ton of minutes for him just because it's not just Joel Embiid, but Dwight Howard bullies him a little bit, too. Maybe if you're in that Baines-Boucher configuration, you can figure something out and you can throw Boucher on a Tobias Harris or whatever and get by. But that's going to require him to guard in space quite a bit. And, you know, Paris puts the ball on the deck. And that's not something Boucher does super well. You know, do I think... Let's put it this way. I, I would say it's more likely that Boucher is a liability defensively in the postseason than he is, like, a clear asset. But I also think he can probably come out as basically net neutral because of, A, the, the offense he provides is, is essential in a lot of the games where he's scoring. Like, you need that extra boost off the bench. And so you, you know, you'll give up a little bit of defensive give back there, you know, similar to Serge Ibaka, right? I mean, Ibaka wasn't like an amazing defender. He was certainly a much better rim protector than Boucher is. He wasn't, they're very different types of defensive players, but same idea. He wasn't Marcus all defensively, but what he gave on offense was a security blanket. It was excellent. You needed that. In terms of Boucher, yeah, like he'll have games where he's overexposed against certain matchups and, you know, he'll get out of position, he'll hunt for blocks irresponsibly, he'll get blown by, but because of like the overwhelming defensive plays he can make, again, it kind of comes out in the wash. And I don't think we're going to see Boucher like relegated to the bench because he's a disastrous playoff defender. I don't have a ton of confidence he's going to be like a shutdown dude who is out there in crunch time because you just have to have his defense out there by any means, but... I think in a 20 to 25 minute role doing his thing that he's done basically all season, there's no reason he can't be a contributor in the postseason who maybe swings some games, swings some energy with some of the plays that he's able to uh, to throw out there. Because, man, like I said, very few guys more entertaining and exciting to watch than Chris Boucher. And I'm glad to see he's kind of uh, really just settled into his role here. He's doing the same thing every single night, and it's great. <laughs> it's It's an absolute blast to watch. Shout out to Chris Boucher. Um, a, a net neutral defender in the postseason, if I had to guess right now. We'll get to one final question to wrap this thing up. This one comes from Old Soul Smith, asks, In a Game 7 of any round, assuming this is Lowry's last season with the team, with 10 seconds left on the clock, tie game, should Lowry take the final shot no matter what and decide the future of the team? Also, which team would be the best to win or lose against in this situation? This is a fun question. I think, I mean, oof. I would like to see Lowry take these last shots. He's been the crunch time guy. You go back, it'd be like some nice poetry to the Paul Pierce series and the way that ended. Hopefully he makes it in this hypothetical 2021 situation and not get blocked by Paul Pierce. But like, yeah, Lowry as the final hammer is probably a pretty good call. Leo Routens was like really going off on the broadcast last night about Norm Powell just having to be the guy to take the shot. And like, I, th I think you could talk yourself into Norm taking clutch shots. I think, honestly, the nice thing about this team is that all the guys in the starting five you could trust with taking a clutch shot. We've seen OG hit a buzzer beater with 0.3 on the clock. We've seen Fred 
hit a lot of shots late in games. He's got big balls, man. He's he's Freddie Mellons himself. He's he's got that. I, I would be pretty confident with him taking big shots. Obviously, Pascal at some point one's gonna fall here. You would think maybe or maybe not, but. I think just by law of averages, I'd say, yeah, let Pascal take the final shot because something has to go right here after all that's gone wrong this season. Uh, and yeah, Norm, I think, is a pretty reliable option too. But yeah, for sentimentality's sake, sure, take let Kyle take those shots. If he's not throwing enormous passes over Taco Fall to wide-open shooters, then hell yeah, let Kyle take the shot, uh, even if maybe he's small and it's difficult to get shots off when you're six feet tall. Who gives a shit? It's Kyle Lowry. Let him go do it. Trust him with your life and he'll probably repay you. Um, in terms of the team, it'd be most satisfying for Kyle Lowry to beat in the playoff series. I think it's between... I mean, all of them would be pretty satisfying. I think the... Like, we've seen him own the Heat in the playoffs, so we can knock them off. That's already off the bucket list. The Bucks would be fun just as, like, a continued torment. Uh, as we know, Giannis uh, has spoken a lot about how Kyle Lowry stole a chip from him, which is awesome. Um... You know, that'd be pretty fun just to hammer home. Oh, yeah, you really should not have stayed in Milwaukee, dude. You, I, I'm still on this team, and uh, you should have left. Um, <laughs> the Nets obviously would be fun. Obviously, if you're in a Game 7 against the Nets and you're beating them, that's probably one of the better upsets you'll see in the NBA. So that's probably the answer, both for like how good that team is this year and also the history of the Nets and that original Kyle miss. It's probably the Nets. Um, the Celtics would be pretty fun too, though, after losing last year, it would be like a reminder that, Oh, had Kyle Lowry not fouled out of the final minute last year, the Raptors probably win. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I'll say the Nets then followed by the Celtics and Bucks as a close, uh, two a to B behind the Nets for that question. Very good question. Thanks for sending it in. That's going to do it for today's podcast thank you so much to everyone for tuning in busy week next week on the podcast like i said we've got the Cavs guys coming up from locked on Cavs on monday morning to break down that game the raptors play houston on tuesday we'll likely do a recap podcast with big v on tuesday morning or wednesday morning or what, they play them on monday whatever the hell the day after the houston game we'll do a pod with big v uh amy audibert's going to come on the pod on wednesday tee up their nuggets game and talk about the all women's broadcast it's going to be a busy week and also we got trade deadline stuff as well which uh you know just that little tiny thing that's not been in the back of our minds for two months at this point uh, you know a very chill day i'm sure there will be no feelings had whatsoever so busy week thanks so much to two for tuning in this week we always appreciate it sorry it was a bit of a chaotic week schedule wise it was just a, a weird one that uh shouldn't happen again but i appreciate everyone putting up with it and we will talk to you again on monday with another episode of locked on raptors now go and subscribe to locked on blue jays locked on leafs all those wonderful shows and uh yeah support them it's very appreciated when you go and do that we'll talk to you monday have a good weekend